helping disciple-makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome, everybody, to the Disciple First Podcast. It's a podcast by disciple-makers and for disciple-makers. My name is Craig Etheridge, and today we're going to give you the balance or the back half of Bill Hull's message at the Flashpoint Conference in Atlanta. Most of you know who Bill Hull is. He's a writer and discipleship expert, founder of TNET International, a ministry devoted to transforming churches into disciple-making churches. He spent more than 25 years as a pastor and as an author of several books, including Jesus Christ Disciple-Maker, Disciple-Making Pastor, The Disciple-Making Church, and Choose a Life. Bill and his wife, Jane, live in Long Beach, California, and they have two grown sons and are even prouder grandparents. But Bill launched into a powerful message at the Flashpoint Conference in Atlanta about conversion and discipleship. It's a message that comes out of his most latest book called, by that same title, Conversion and Discipleship. So we're going to pick up the back half of that message. Listen now to Bill Hull. Now let me uh, read something here to you, and please be patient with me, because I know that you've, many of you have preached on this, many of you have memorized it, it's been stated here a couple of times already in the time I've been here, but Matthew 28, I just want to make a comment or two. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, baptize them into the Trinitarian reality. And when somebody is baptized, I think really what you want to tell that person, apart from some of the obvious things we already tell them, is that they have just joined a community. They have just been baptized into something that already exists that's a community. And it really begins with the perfect community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But also they've been baptized into this wider and broader community of the church. Now you're a member. You're part of it. And so the church has done pretty good. I mean, we've been pretty good at baptizing those people who say they want to follow Jesus. Also, though, there is this next point. And this is called the Great Omission in the Great Commission. In 1976, I wrote an article for a church newspaper, and I entitled it The Great Omission in the Great Commission. And essentially, the great omission of the Great Commission is this next statement. Teach these disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So the great omission is the failure to teach people to obey everything that Christ commanded. And it's frankly about a lack of apprenticeship, of intentional apprenticeship in the lives of people. Because you could get a show of hands in a church, how many of you have been baptized, the hands would be raised. How many of you 
are living in a covenantal relationship with others and walking in faith and growing in Christ and involved in his mission in life or something along those lines, you'll have less hands. You know, you can't make a disciple from a non... Well, you can make a disciple, but you cannot make a Christ-like disciple from a non-discipleship gospel. For example... You know, if your gospel does not include discipleship as a natural part of salvation, because remember, if God, when God saved you, he also called you. It's one thing. It's not two things. It's not conversion to discipleship. It's salvation. It's the whole thing. And so when we begin, we walk into this life, and it's, it's an organic whole, W-H-O-L-E. And so we, we move forward. And now if you have a gospel that does not include that, then you have to ask yourself this. If your gospel does not naturally lead to the making of disciples, there's something wrong with your gospel. If your gospel is a legalistic gospel, you're going to make a legalistic disciple. If your gospel is a consumeristic gospel, it will make a consumeristic disciple. If your gospel is a prosperity gospel, you'll have a prosperity disciple. Here's the larger issue. If your gospel is primarily a contemporary, non-discipleship gospel, it's about me. It's about getting my needs met. And Christ is not fundamentally about himself. He's fundamentally about others. So if you have a contemporary gospel, a non-discipleship gospel, that's primarily about me, the forgiveness of my sins, uh, my eternal destiny, my getting everything about me, and over here you have Christ. He says, he's a man for others. So you got me and you got others. If you have this gospel and you're trying to make a disciple, you can't do it. You cannot make a Christ-like disciple out of a non-discipleship gospel. In order to make a Christ-like disciple that's about others, you have to have a gospel that's about others. Otherwise, it's impossible. So teaching them to obey everything that Christ commanded. So here's the thing. One of the things we do in the Bonhoeffer Project is we talk about all these things and we lead pastors and others into how to get through it. But don't fight it. In other words, you don't necessarily have to stand up and announce the revolution. Just begin it. And don't fight it in this way. Here's what you do. You cut the taproot of the great omission. Don't nourish it. Don't feed it. It will wither and die. Starve it to death. In other words, rebuild your gospel. Start over. Start with what faith means, what grace means, what forgiveness means. 
what being a follower of Jesus means. Rebuild it. Reteach it. Honoring the past, but clarifying what you mean. And do this. Stop teaching salvation as a separate event from discipleship. Change the ask. Change the ask. Stop treating faith as agreement, or faith as a prayer, or faith as a belief system, or faith as a creed, or faith as a sign-off on doctrine. That is not what Jesus meant by faith. That is not what Paul meant by faith. That's not what Peter meant by faith. That's certainly not what James in chapter 2 meant by faith. We have misread the owner's manual and we are working on the wrong fuel. And what we are doing is in classically in evangelicalism, we have detested nominalism in Christians in name only. That's part of the reason evangelicalism exists. Going back to the middle of the 20th century is a response. We said there has to be conversion. There has to be change. We believe in the fundamentals of the faith. And so that was a response to where the culture was going and where liberal theology was going. And so we responded. And we said we're moving away from that nominalism in name only Christianity. We want real Christianity. We want real change. We want real transformation. Good. That's what we want. But in taking our gospel and in having a gospel that is a non-discipleship gospel, we're actually creating the very thing we detest. The very thing we're against. We create more nominal Christians because essentially, again, it's about the creed, it's about belief, it's about the formula, it's about just believing something but not really doing anything. It's about separation of conversion from discipleship. Start asking people to repent. Last night, Robbie brought this up. Repent. I'd like to hear an evangelist sometimes say, you know what? If, you, uh, if you're not ready to repent of your sin and turn away from the life that you're living, don't come forward. Don't say this prayer. Please don't. Just stay where you are. You're not ready. Repent and start following Jesus as an action which demonstrates saving faith. Now, of course it's by grace alone. Of course we wouldn't be able to even think about it or do it without His grace. Those who God has called have it in them. This is very important to this. Those whom God has called has it in them. So let's ask them to show what God has put in them by action. That's the point. You know, we've kind of gone through my lifetime. I've lived long enough that, you know, at first we gave invitations and altar calls, and then kind of that went out of way, became uh, boring, passe. And then other people would have more of a, other kind of modify this coming forward on Sunday mornings and things like this. And uh, I was thinking just when I was writing this up that about this idea of maybe coming forward isn't such a bad idea. 
You know, I, I remember what uh, Jesus said to Matthew. He said, follow me. And you know what Matthew did? He stood up and he started walking. He started walking. He was actually doing something. He was demonstrating his belief. So maybe having, it's really what you call people forward for. Now a word about expectation. New disciples are start making disciples. So let's say, stop asking, how am I doing? If you make disciples, you won't need to ask that question again. You know that? You'll never have to ask yourself, how am I doing? It'll become much less important. And here's the number one excuse. You're always going to get this. I was not long ago in a meeting where this happened. Well, I've never been discipled, so I guess I can't make disciples. So how did you learn to be a husband, if you're a husband? What happened? Well, here's what happened. Uh, you wanted to get married. You know, you just couldn't live without her, right? So you got married. And you went home with her. And you started learning how to be a husband by being a husband. Now, were there books on being a husband? Yes. Resources? Of course. But really, there's only one way you learn to be a husband, by being a husband. And then you guys have been married a while, and you say, let's have a baby. Yeah, we want to have a baby. So you had a desire to get married. That's the important part. You had a desire to get married, so you got married, so you learned to be a husband. Now you have a desire to have a baby, so you have a baby, and you go to the hospital. And it used to be you were there three days, now I think it's shorter. But, uh, and so after three days, my wife kept saying, can I stay longer? You know, the, but I remember, finally they said, you've got to go home with it now. You got to take it home. And so that's how we learned to be a parents was we had to take it home. But we had the desire to be parents, so we figured out how to be parents and and I had all the books, man, Dare to Discipline by um what's his name? James Dobson, yes. And uh we had all that. Uh dealing with a strong-willed child had that too. You know, all those books seminars, all kinds of stuff, how to be a better parent. But yet, there was really only one way to learn to be a parent, and that was by being a parent. Now, do you have a desire to make disciples? Okay, there's lots, all kinds of information on how to do it. But essentially, if you have a desire that God's put in you to make a disciple, you want to obey, like Robert Coleman's question. If you want to obey and make disciples, then how do you make disciples? By making disciples. You'll figure it out. I was in a meeting about a month ago, and we were talking about this very subject, and the woman was probably 85, and she, was, she spoke up. And she said, I've, two years ago, I went into an assisted living facility 
My kids put me there. I didn't want to go. But I got in there, and I asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so she started listening and talking to the other patients, her fellow patients, praying with them, reading the Bible. She started seeing some of them come to know Christ or renew their faith, and she started a Bible study. And this woman says, I love it now. I mean, I still don't want to be there, but the thing is, she says, I have all kinds. She says, I have my own church in there. Now, this is just an ordinary woman who had it in her heart, I want to make disciples, and so she was making disciples. Now, this is no small matter, ladies and gentlemen. And please don't make the Great Commission about church planting, please. And please don't make it about evangelism. Please don't. That's to make what is so big so very, very small. This is about world revolution. This is about Christ-likeness spilling out into the world, into every domain in every part of society. This is not about church buildings on corners. Even Here's the deal. Here's how it works. The church is for discipleship. And the reason this building exists, the reason that this congregation exists, is to make disciples. To, to, it's for discipleship, rather, is what I want to say more precisely. It is, in other words, to take people who are interested in following God and teaching them to follow Him to strengthen them, to encourage them, and to send them. You know, it's a big difference between wandering through the world aimlessly and being sent into the world. And when the benediction is issued here on Sunday morning, you're being sent into the world. And it's out there in the world where you live, work, and play. That's where the action is. That's where we live 98% of our lives, out there. And I remember sitting there with my, uh, the bishop of uh, the Diocese of Western Anglicans out in California, and I was at this meeting, and somebody asked him at the end of this session, what uh, would you recommend we do in our church now, after we've done, talked about all this? And what he said was absolutely brilliant. He said, this next year, I'd like for you to spend an equal amount of time on the church going as you have on people coming to the church. In other words, spend half of your time on going and the other half the time on coming. He says we spend almost 95% of our time on getting people here. And there is not one command in the Bible for non-Christians to go to church. And what we're looking for, and this is one of my favorite statements by Dallas Willard, and I'll close with it. The greatest issue facing the world today and its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christian will become disciples or students of Jesus Christ.
will they break out of their churches to be the church, to be without human force or violence, his mighty force for goodness on earth. There is no greater issue facing the individual human being, Christian or not. Just remember this. When you read that passage, Matthew 28, it says, make disciples of all nations. Remember what else Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. When the gospel of the kingdom is preached to the ends of the earth, then the end will come. There's a connection between those two things. And the way that he is going to bring that about is by the church is for discipleship, but Disciples are God's gift to the world, and when we spill out of these doors and we go out there, we're on mission, and we are to be the kingdom of God in every facet of society, and we are to fill the world with Christ-likeness. That's the plan, and that's why it's this important. Well, Lord, I want to thank you. I thank you for the men and women who have taken this time to be here to put themselves in the line of fire. I thank you for the leaders in this room who lead disciple-making movements, particularly those who lead this conference and lead the churches. And Lord, I ask your blessing and your calling. And may we see that when you called us, and you saved us, you called us. And that we are called not only as adopted children, but also as ministers and servants to the world. Your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. You have just heard from Bill Hull on conversion and discipleship. I tell you what is, I've listened to this message now over and over and over. It continues to challenge me. What type of gospel are we preaching? Are we preaching a gospel that includes repentance? Are we preaching a gospel that, that pushes people toward obedience? Are we calling them to follow Jesus for the rest of their life? I, I don't know about you, how, how this fits in with your ministry, what changes may need to be made. I tell you what, this would be a great message for you to let your staff listen to and have a great robust debate about the gospel. And as I've talked with Bill personally about this message, he said the best thing churches can do is just begin to re, uh, re-communicate and unpack again the fundamental, fundamental language of the gospel. What does faith mean? What is repentance? What does it mean to follow Jesus? As you do that, then you will become a better disciple-maker and a better disciple-making church. For more information on how to be a disciple-making church, go to disciplefirst.com. Disciplefirst.com is your one-stop shop for disciple-making resources. And also check out the next Flashpoint Conference coming to a city near you. And until then, go make disciples.